Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Rohan Akhani, joined today by an incredibly, incredibly special guest. This has been long in the works. A lot of bartering went into this. He is an Atlanta native, a Columbia grad, a longtime writer for ESPN, a former editor at NPR. Here to answer the Reddit question, what happened to Kevin Arnovitz? Kevin Arnovitz is on Open Floor. Kevin, how's it going? I'm doing very well. Uh, I'm sufficiently amused that there is a that, I, that there is a, apparently a Reddit thread asking where I'm at. It, you, the, honestly, they have some good information on there in terms of the what you're rumored to be up to now, based on what you've told me. So I, the Reddit sleuths, man, you cannot get anything past them. I I, I, I suppose I I, I don't. I, I'm I'm dying to know who 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 populates the the, the Reddit <laughs> sleuth ranks, um, but whatever. Um, this is thrilling for me because I was like the incredibly big journalism nerd who, when they when ESPN started the Heat Index twelve years ago, I was like, literally nothing in my life will be better than this. Like ESPN has Kevin Arnovitz um, and Tom Haverstrow just covering the Heat full time. I'm so excited. Um, and now we're here doing a podcast together 12 years later. Kevin, you also made, you just sent the most monumental email, one of the most monumental emails I've received in my entire life when I told you I was a fan of your Top Chef podcast and you said, let's get lunch. I've been craving this place called Mini Kebab. And that I, not only has Mini Kebab been, I've evangelized the restaurant to so many people. I think the chef Armin is one of my closest friends. And this is all because of you. People are like, how'd you hear about it? And I'm like, that's a funny story. I, I mean, Armenian cooking in Los Angeles. Yeah. Next to Yerevan. Yeah. Better I, than anything. <laughs> and uh, mini kebab was such an institution, especially when I lived closer to it. Um, n- to say nothing of the fact that it has, it has seating comfortably for three. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is no parking on Vine Street anywhere. Um, and yet it is... Um, it, 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 it's not even a concept restaurant, but the concept unintentionally is brilliant, which is what if you took small, I mean, how would you describe the sort of the, 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 the trademark mini kebab? 
Well, you know, he doesn't, this is not to get too deep. We have this one emailer, Daryl Swenson, who gets really mad when we do not enough basketball talk to start the show, but mini kebab doesn't even sell mini kebabs anymore. Are you aware of this? What, they, what, what, what do you mean? I mean, I, I don't, I don't eat the lule yeah. anymore, the beef lule. I, I eat chicken lule. So they don't actually do the little mini ones that, you that are wrapped. Yes. Yeah, so you have to order. It's like a catering special order to get the actual <sighs> mini kebab, mini kebab now. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I, I guess scale is, is sort of yes. the, the answer. Okay. He's he was just like, yeah, I'm sick of making the mini kebabs. I'm mad at my dad for putting it on the menu and naming the restaurant after it. And also, this restaurant that Kevin's talking about is like a. It really is a hole in the wall. And he's he mentioned there's like two tables in there. They're not even indoor seating anymore. There's one picnic table outside, and that's it. All right. What I would say to Armand is, if I because I if I have an audience here and I can probably <laughs> mention this next time I'm in there is, what I would like to be able to do as a man who is who is um, flirting with uh, keto diet right now, um, watching my metabolism slow to zero, is I would like to be able to order the the chicken lule kebabs and the chicken thigh shish um, and the breast shish for that matter as a la carte items without the rice and hummus. You can on do that. the vi- no no, but you have to call. What I'd mm, like to be able to yeah. do is to do it on the online delivery platforms mm. um, that, that, that populate your phone is I would like not to have to call to do a la carte <laughs> ordering um, because what I end up doing is just having to throw away rice and throwing away right, rice is a right. sin because, you know, it's just a sin. You can't throw of away course, rice. Of course, of course. Wow. Well, yeah, we could honestly, we could do 90 minutes, two hours on mini kebab. On mini kebab, but we have, yeah. we have 56 minutes yeah, left. Exactly. Yes. But there's, there's so much I want to get to. I really am thrilled, Kevin. Um, I know that, you know, we, we, we see each other every now and then in LA, but we don't, this is like the first time I think we've ever had an actual basketball conversation. We'll be on this podcast and I'm very excited because you've genuinely been one of my favorite writers for so long. And I'm, I'm very excited to do this. We've never um, talked. We talk basketball, like, don't we? At the, and, and, we we've like talked casually. about the wonders of Bam Adebayo and and sort of the Miami Heat selling out um, on the weak side to oh. <laughs> in one of the more aggressive defensive schemes. We, we we've we've certainly it's, discussed. It's come up. Like basketball. I think we I think we had like one one legitimate conversation on the way back from like the Pasadena farmer, farmers market, but not not in like a you know I'm re- we're really going to drill down today. I think so. Okay. I'm very thrilled. Um, let's start here because you are no longer actually covering the NBA for the first time in a long time, which is weird to me to think that I'm writing about the NBA and you're not. Um, and we talked a bit a little about this on the phone this week is you are now getting to experience the NBA, not as a writer, but someone who is, you know, I'd say in between a casual fan and a hardcore fan. I mean, obviously you still know so much about the sport. You can't just, that doesn't just go away, but What's the experience been like for you kind of checking in and out of the NBA at your own convenience? Right. It's so interesting. And, and I didn't – I was prepared for this, right, because you mm-hmm. live a life where – and I wouldn't – I don't know how you would even catalog the amount of hours uh, people like you and I spend watching the league when you're covering it officially. There's the, the sort of – I'm on the West Coast, so starting at mm-hmm. 4 o'clock, uh, you know, you check in on the East Coast games. Maybe you're working on a feature about DeMar DeRozan, so for three weeks you watch every Bulls game. There's the you know second spectrum. Hey, I'm just going to kind of watch efficiently how this team is defending the pick and roll because I'm I'm going to be speaking with Zach Lowe and I want to be able to kind of show my work mm-hmm. um, on that podcast to say nothing of going down to Staples Center or if I'm traveling. And then so you go from this, let's call it 20 hours a week of just mm-hmm. viewing down to, you know, in my new life, 
like two and a half hours, three hours. So all of a sudden you become what I consider a casual fan. I would imagine that in New York at the NBA office, people who spend three hours watching televised NBA broadcasts are probably hardcore fans. Mm. Um, maybe not the hardest core of the hardcore fans, but it is this entirely different experience because like you want to optimize your viewing. So, you know, when you and I, if you're doing it professionally and you turn on, say, a Clippers Denver game and there's no Jamal Murray and there's no Kawhi Leonard or Paul George, you can settle in and say, oh, OK, you know, I'm, I'm here for the Terrence Mann experience. Like I'm here mm-hmm. to watch Zub uh, defend as the big man in the pick and roll mm-hmm. and observe whether, you know, what he's doing against Jokic and, and how you play that matchup. But when you're a casual fan and you do want to do that optimization, basically it's like you go and say, oh, this is a really big matchup. This is the big ABC game or this is a big Wednesday night or Thursday night game. And like the thing that I've noticed um, that I, I would say it frustrates me because I, it because it, there are plenty of other options. I wouldn't say I'm frustrated, but I, I, I would say that the thing that I've noticed, I always knew but it impacts me more and I have a different reaction to it as a casual fan is how rarely you turn on what you think is going to be a matchup of two top NBA teams and you actually get to see them anywhere close to full mm-hmm. strength. Like mm-hmm. it never happens. Like you turn on the bucks in the first one of the season. Oh, no drew holiday, no Chris Middleton. Oh, well I'm not going to stick around for this. And it's not mm-hmm. because I don't like the bucks as I really like the bucks, but I'm just not going to, I have X number of hours to watch the Milwaukee bucks this year ahead of the playoffs. And I'm just not going to do it on a night when two of their three best players are not on the floor. And like, you know, same thing with the Clippers was really excited about them going into the season. And I mean, they're stacked and you just don't get to see them. And, and it, it's sort of strange because I historically as, an analyst and somebody covering the league, I am, I wouldn't say supportive, but I am somebody who kind of early on recognized that the 82 game schedule is just, mm-hmm. it's untenable. And the problem is not that these guys are sitting out because they're lazy or obstinate or overly cautious. The problem is, is like, yeah, if you want to win a championship, you're not going to have a guy like Kawhi Leonard play 2,500 minutes. I mean, hell, mm-hmm. I think you'd argue you wouldn't play him having 2,100 minutes or even 2,000 yeah. minutes. Right. And, and so I can't disagree. It's not like I'm throwing stuff at my TV saying, ah, this sucks. You know, Kawhi's not playing it. Like, I get it. Um, you know, but I do think that the, for me, it make like, I'm now much more aware of just how uncompelling the regular season product can be unless it's like a marquee Christmas day matchup of two great teams. Um, the, the median game, on the league schedule, the 705th most important game or most celebrated game is, is just not a great product. Um, now that said, I also watched a great crazy Hawks bowls mm-hmm. closing overtime game <laughs> yeah. the other evening, like after dinner and was just like, wow. And, and it was you know, an insane game. I'm sure league insiders really talked about, I was just lucky that I checked my phone and said, Oh, is there a fourth quarter? You know, it's six thirty-eight Eastern Pacific time. Oh, the East Coast games are probably getting mm-hmm. to the fourth quarter. There might be a good one. Let me settle in. Like I've almost gone to automated red zone <laughs> basketball viewing on nights where I'm home after dinner for an hour or two, maybe before we put in a TV show or something. Um, and but but it is it's such a different experience being the casual fan who will go days without checking the standings or the box scores and then just kind of says, oh, you know, I've got an hour here. It's 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 the fourth quarter of East Coast and five o'clock games. Like, let me 
me watch. It's just a different experience. And, and it's, it's a worse experience in the sense that I do worry for the league that it's just like, you just don't get main major players playing at the top of their game in high stakes situations at all. Like they, right. it never happens. Yeah. It, it's funny. I was at, we're recording this on a Friday. I was at the Suns Clippers game uh, last night and, you know, second night of a back to back. And I'm with you. It, it, why should the Clippers push Kawhi Leonard on the second night of a back to back? But he sits out, Paul George sits out. It's, and that is happening routinely. Like when the Clippers played the Celtics earlier this week and most guys were healthy, I mean, the Celtics have their own injury issues and, you know, you're, you're not going to predict Al Horford going into the health protocol or what's going on with Rob Williams. But that was like the first time it felt like there was a game with stakes. It, and it's just, I, I think that's the the issue you're getting at is, you know, even that Hawks-Bulls game, which was very entertaining. And, you know, I enjoyed it, that, that Griffin game winner. I was like, this is nuts. There's ultimate. It's fleeting. It, it it's very a fleeting, you know, experience because you're like this game doesn't have stakes. I remember when I first moved to Los Angeles, I covered that first Lakers Clippers game back in 2019, and it was like this is going to be the big rivalry. Durant's not on the Warriors anymore, and my takeaway from that game was like, oh, like I actually think that this is the first time I felt like a regular season game has mattered in so long because there's no big juggernaut in the league, and all the stars are actually playing and it was still kind of the Clippers. I think we've always had an element of, you know, load management and stuff in the league. I think the Clippers accelerated that conversation quite a bit that year, especially just because Kawhi's stature in the league at that point that, yeah, I'm with you. I obviously it's again, like I'm watching every night. I don't even, I don't even think about it now when a star is missing. I just assume a team is going to be missing guys. The Grizzlies haven't had a minute of Jaron Jackson, Desmond Bain, John Morant, and Dylan Brooks playing together this season. Um, It's funny because you mentioned kind of the red zone experience of kind of bumping around. If there's a good fourth quarter, you'll watch. And the NBA is definitely, I think, trying to capitalize on that a little bit. They have this crunch time app now, which is trying to rip off NFL red zone, which is a smart thing to do, you know, hop around these close games. It It's funny though, because I, you know, I've mentioned on this podcast a few times this year about how I'm, you know, I'm like back on the Miami Dolphins narcotic, like Tua had four good weeks in a row. And I was like, oh my God, this, I bought a jersey, which was really embarrassing. <laughs> like I really like so regretful, regret that already. But it, it, it just, it, it sounds silly, but when I watch a, NFL game compared to an NBA game, I'm like, this feels, and there's so many reasons for it, but it just feels so much more important. And, and it's, I'm, I wonder if there's anything the NBA could ever do to kind of approach that level of stakes in the regular season again. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I litigated this. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, I, I yeah. did like a 17 minute talk at, at the MIT Sloan Sports mm-hmm. Analytic Conference a few years ago, sort of begging the league to kind of take the HBO peak TV. Mm-hmm. FX network peak TV sort of tack, and that would require just limiting or not limiting, but just reducing the number of mm-hmm. regular season games exponentially. Right? Like, I like I would go down to fifty eight, and 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 it's interesting because I you know talking with very smart people in the NBA um, who actually think about these issues, um, you know they've sort of determined that, that even reducing any ten games wouldn't do anything. Like to have the effect that we're looking for, which is this matters, you'd have to go mm-hmm. down at, at the very most to sixty four, and then you probably have to go considerably below that. And um, 
what is interesting is I went, I, t- I took my dog, Howard, who you know well, who you've mm-hmm. cared for. Um, <laughs> I took over to a friend's house um, that has a pool that lets us get golden retriever hair in the pool uh, on a hot Sunday afternoon at the beginning of the football season. And, and he has like the league pass or not the league mm-hmm. pass, the, uh, the red zone thing. Yeah. I'm not a big football fan. I am, I am this classic fair weathered Atlanta <laughs> sports fan. <laughs> stereotypical southern atlanta houston like miami's like i only care about the nfl when the falcons are six and two at the turn Mm -hmm. and even then you know whatever and um but it was just like it's like this is what he does on sunday afternoons this is a very high power high powered executive um in the music industry and just incredibly intelligent guy he's from the east coast eagles are his team and it's like that's what he does on Sunday afternoon. It's like you get the little the floaty noodles out in the pool, and he's got yeah. like the, the the screen is like kind of by the pool, mm-hmm. and and it's just like it is so optimum, and it's it, it's it's a ritual, right? Like this is what you do on Sundays, and it just there are these moments now as a casual fan where I look at how well the NFL is positioned to just optimize fan viewing to mm-hmm. get people to care about the game. It's not that they don't have the kind of narrative conversations that dominate the NBA and the transactional stuff. Certainly that goes on, but I was captivated. It's like, I don't, I can't name five pro football players. Like I, I literally can't. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't realize that Matt Ryan had been traded from the Atlanta Falcons until like I got there and realized there's some other guy now. Um, and, and they were playing the Seahawks that day. Um, and, but I was just like, holy, like the NBA just doesn't have this. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have, and again, Major League Baseball doesn't have it. Part of it is just the nature of what the NFL is, which is 16 games. So mm-hmm. it's funny. I, I heard one NBA official once joke to me, and it was kind of why I've always had um, a soft spot for Adam Silver on kind of structural issues, which mm-hmm. is like, hey, we're up to Adam. There will only be 16 games mm-hmm. in the NBA. Like, I think there is a neck recognition mm-hmm. that scarcity could really help the NBA. But there's also a reality that like, in terms of revenue and the gate and everything else, like you can't have 16 games, right? You probably can't have 58 games, which I want, um, unless you were willing just to get to pay this mortgage up front. Like you're going to pay this cost up front and just, hey, guys, we're, we're eliminating a quarter or a third of the NBA schedule. We'll get some of it back through a midseason tournament. I am pro midseason tournament. Um, I think it'll be lousy the first few years. And I think over time, as people kind of grow up with it, mm-hmm. it will increase in prestige and there will be a generation of kids who – who don't know the tournament as a gimmick, but just know it as a reality. And then ultimately mm-hmm. they will take to it. But, and I also feel badly because, you know, I, I remember kind of somebody, a, a fan on on Twitter commenting that like, you know, God, Arnold, all Arnold does is bag on how bad the NBA is. And, <laughs> and I'm sympathetic to that. Like nobody wants to hear someone say, yeah, the NBA, why can't you be more like your brother, the NFL? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, what I would say is, I only say this because I think when the NBA is at its best, like when you get high stakes playoff basketball where, the teams mm-hmm. are full strength. I think there's nothing better. I know hockey fans insist that, oh man, sudden death, golden goal kind of hockey and playoffs. There's nothing better mm-hmm. than that. And I, I totally understand why it's appealing, even though I think the sport is kind of ridiculous um, <laughs> as a general concept. I mean, it was like Tim Matheson in that episode of um, that pilot of West Wing was like, all goals are scored by accident in hockey. Like, I truly believe that. Like, I think there's <laughs> random ricochets. Um, but with basketball, I only harp because I do believe that, like, if the NBA can get more peak NBA, like, there's no there's no better product. I don't care about football. I don't mm-hmm. care about baseball extra innings in the playoffs. I don't care about sudden death hockey. Like, 
peak NBA basketball where everybody cares, it all matters, and everyone's on the floor is better than anything. And it's like, I just would love to see the league be able to capture 70, 80, 90% of that Mm -hmm. more often during the regular season. And I just don't think structurally the league is set up for that. And it's why I think the regular season product is lame. And it's why I think the league has sort of sold its soul to kind of Twitter narratives and tried to position players as something other than basketball players, which is great. I'm for people being positioned however they want to be positioned. But at the end of the day, like as my buddy, Miles Brown, who, who you know is a frequent Twitter, it's like, Oh great. The league that is never about the game is back. Yeah. You know, the game yeah. that is never about the game is back. And we're not again, once again, not talking about the game. And I do think it yeah. does have potential fatal consequences for the league. Unless of course, and this will get to our, I guess, our CBA conversation, Ron, yeah. which is unless networks and streamers fork over billions and billions of dollars for the rights to broadcast these games, and it really doesn't matter if you watch or not mm-hmm. because the uh, you know the check cashes, and if nobody under the age of thirty even watches a basketball game, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it's it's fascinating because you know I'm even, I'm working on a story right now that entails like talking to players on a team that are you know this team's a championship contender, and I'm like. Isn't it annoying after you've been in like two, you know, when you've been in, when you're a team, for example, that's been in multiple playoff runs, it's like, why would, how could you begin to get yourself to be motivated about the regular season? And, and I'm talking about as a player, like, why would, you know, just as just an example, like, we're lucky that Steph Curry tries as hard as he does during the regular season. There's really, he's no incentive to at this point in his career because they could enter the postseason at 500 or whatever the case may be. And, they can be confident in what they do. And, you know, I, I wrote a small story last year also about just kind of the difference between playoff basketball and regular season basketball, no matter whether it was a coach, player, no matter the team, everyone, every single person, it's a different sport. Like, independently giving me that quote, it's a different sport. And to your point about why it's so good, I think with the brilliance of playoff basketball especially is that when you have two v- great teams going at it, like, you know, forget the first round, but you have two great teams, like the Bucks and the Celtics. In a football game, like in an individual football game, weird stuff can happen. A lot of fluky stuff can happen. You can kind of hide behind it. In a basketball game, there's 100 possessions in one game. Like you mentioned, there's no scoring by accident, um, you know, <laughs> over the course of a of a full playoffs. And that's what makes it so exciting. And I when you talk to players and even they are like, yeah, you know, sometimes it is hard because we just played in the finals and, it, you know, ha- to go back to such lower stakes basketball, it's uh, it, it's <laughs> it's a weird experience at times because, like I said, we're so I'm so deep in it now, like, as you know, that you just get used to it. But it really is going to come down to if the if the TV companies continue to shell over the money, which doesn't seem to be an issue. Um, and it's good to know that the league on some level understands like scarcity would help. I, I even just, I think about the weird scheduling and I understand that the logistical factors are so crazy, but when we're talking about say the NFL, even it's like, I know when the games are, I, I know what channel to turn on and there will be a football on. Whereas the NBA, it's like last week or two weeks ago, it's like there was one Tuesday night that literally had one game on the schedule then a Wednesday night that had like 13 games. They did the the day before election day. They did the every single team is playing and every game starts 15 minutes apart, which I liked, but then became overwhelming very quickly. <laughs> um, it's just, it, it feels like 
on one hand, I respect that they're constantly trying things, but it, it just it feels like they're not trying the thing that everyone knows is probably going to be the answer, which is shorten it and like give me like give me two days or three days that I know are NBA days. I'm watching right. on Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday every week. There's basketball. Yeah, I, the way I, I kind of I, I present it is I, I would have the league go dark on Monday, mm-hmm. right? Just you don't need to compete against Monday Night Football. Uh, the teams themselves will tell you that the arena um, revenue is just like like Monday is just a terrible night. Like mm-hmm. like there's nothing that a, a CEO or a ticket sales VP hates more than the schedule in August coming across their desk and seeing like Monday night dates. They hate that, right? Mm-hmm. So just get get rid of it. And every team should play like there's like a weekend pot of games. Like you have maybe your Friday night is like kind of a national mm-hmm. double header and, you know, maybe one or two other games you can flex it. And then everybody plays like a, either a Friday, Saturday, Sunday game and everybody plays a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday game. Right. And, and in fact, most of those games are on Wednesday with the sort of the, 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 where the national viewer maybe looks at Tuesdays and Thursdays or whatever. And, but to your point is regularizing it. Like there's a secular holiday in this country every Sunday between Labor Day <laughs> right. and early January, right? Or actually well into February once you consider the playoffs, right? Like it's just it's just understood everyone gets together. The bars in my shitty sports city, which is actually your shitty sports city, Los Angeles, <laughs> actually have like Cleveland Browns fans on Coanga like yeah. crowded out. It's just like it, it's it's a holiday. And yeah. and it's because everybody knows. is going nuts. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, yeah. and I do think regularity, predictability, um, you know, the idea like, like, you know, talk to a small market business side person in the NBA on a week where they've got to basically sell four games in seven days where the team's at home for a homestand mm-hmm. Monday, Wednesday, and then God forbid a back to back, which they really, truly hate, not for mm-hmm. rest yeah. and right. recovery reasons, but like, you know, try getting your metropolitan area of 2.1 million people mm-hmm. to fill up that arena, 20,000 seats times two yeah on consecutive weeknights right like like they hate that mm-hmm. um and so it just isn't optimist but and again i mean this is all you know this is all structural i do think as you said scarcity is going to have to factor into the equation or maybe it's just like you know what hey look guys there's going to be nine weeks of peak basketball which is a sixth of the year for god's sakes literally during the playoffs you get meaningful games every single night literally every night or day mm-hmm. for nine weeks and yeah, you know what? The regular season's going to have limited peaks. We can try to amp up some of those peaks. I, I do think a tournament could be fun. Um, you know, maybe you can reduce games. Um, but I, and again, I, I tend to be less precious about, oh, the poor kid who drove in from Bakersfield to come see <laughs> Jason Tatum and he's resting. Or, you know, like I, I do tend to be a little less precious about that than most people. Um, it's more just, I, I just think that what you should want for your product is for the median game for the random fan on the random night to turn on the TV and say, wow, this is compelling, Mm -hmm. you know, um, more often. And I just think it's better for the product. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion lounge or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, 
We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Speaking of that, we talked about this a little bit, and I, I did want to bring it up because, you know, I mentioned to you, like, I, I personally think the standings are weird this year. And I, you're not the first person who's told me, like, just give it a little time. But I think if I told anyone the top six in the West, you know, 30 games into the season – would be Memphis, New Orleans, Denver, Phoenix, Portland, Sacramento. You know, I I can't even imagine the the odds I would have gotten on that. I'm not a I'm better, so I, I'm just I'm using that phrase like I know what it means. But it, it's been a weird season. Like number one to ten in the West are separated by five and a half games. One to eleven separated by six. Um, <laughs> there's a case to be made that there's like actual parity in the NBA this year. Um, you know, Howard Beck wrote about it for our site, kind of just the nature of this, this season being very bunched up. And when you and I were talking about this, what we wanted to talk about on the show, one thing that came up that I thought was interesting is like you mentioned to me 10 years ago, we knew like the Spurs were going to be in the top four in the West, no matter what the Thunder were going to be in the top four in the West, no matter what you, you kind of had these stalwart teams and I think part of that was the player movement was not quite as much uh, or not quite as heavy as it is now. I think we also had I, – I think the league is every day. Like every successive day is more talented than the day before. But you could maybe argue that like the top-end talent 10 years ago made more of a difference than the top-end talent does now. I, I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on this notion of parity. Do you think it exists in the NBA? Is it just – about like we mentioned people don't play as much anymore but do you read anything into kind of this very bunched up standings yeah i i don't know i mean so i and i you know i'd love to engage someone who actually kind of looks at it statistically Mm -hmm. you know our our, our friends someone someone who did research (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. but i mean it's like okay so what are those teams that like and you were talking about this like you could if someone gave you even money on as much as you wanted to bet on the proposition in 2013, 14, 15, the Oklahoma City Thunder will finish in the top four in the West. By the way, this was the hyper-competitive West, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you take that bet. Like, you would take it for San Antonio. I mean, hell, there were several years you'd probably take it for the Clippers, Mm -hmm. where it's just like, you know, you look at their basketball reference, it's like 55, 56, 55, 56, you know. And, And like, okay, so why don't those teams exist anymore? Now, I mean, I think in the case of the Milwaukee Bucks, they do, and why do they exist well because they have one of the two or three best players in mm-hmm. basketball right and that was true of the oklahoma city thunder as well like i think it was just understood that like the kevin durant team is going to win a regular season total of x mm-hmm. um lebron was like that for a while until he sort of you know took his foot off the pedal in the regular season um but you know boston very much shares that sort of property which is do you have a young top five player mm. like do you have a young top five player is often the uh, Derek Rose in Chicago when he was healthy being all there, you know, 
up there for 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 a very long time. Um, obviously, the Heat during the early um, Heatles sort of era. Like, do you have a a young or prime top five player? If you do, you're probably going to be penciled in for a top four in your conference. And I, I mean, right now is like who are who is a who are, who are the top five players in their prime right now? Young top, young <laughs> yeah. to early prime to prime, not anywhere past that. Like, who are the top? I mean, we we know that the answer. Is, I mean, we, we we think that the answer is Giannis, Luca, who else? Jokic, Jokic, yeah, Jokic yeah. is definitely um, Tatum. Tatum. It, Tatum's yeah. controversial, but let's yeah. just for the argument yeah. of saying right. he's a very right. freaking productive player who right. plays most nights. Right. Who they don't worry too much about rest and recovery. Right. He's going to be on the floor and he plays a two way game. Right. Yeah. Like like. That's Tatum. And so, okay, so to the extent that there are a few of these teams, like in, I think Boston, Milwaukee, and I think before it's all over, Memphis has sort of distinguished itself as a team. Pencil right. in, if you want to put your house up, even money that they're going to be a top four seed, you probably can do it mm-hmm. and rest healthy so long as Jaw doesn't get hurt, right? Like, like is that fair to say? I think so, yeah. Okay. I, I'm... <laughs> We'll have to do a full podcast on the show about Memphis at one point, which is first in the West, even though they've had all kind. They play the most random lineups some nights. Like I, I don't know what. Like, is it voodoo? Is it? I, I, I don't know what's going on in Memphis, but it seems like no matter who they put on the floor. Last year, John missed like twenty five games, and they still finished um, second in the conference. So yes, but. That's a separate conversation, but yes, yes your point uh, is and, and, and yeah. if you want to have it, I, I will come yeah. on and and I will watch Memphis Grizzlies basketball for <laughs> three straight weeks, yeah. irrespective, <laughs> right? And and you know, uh, and I, I will do yeah. that. Um, so yeah, but yeah, it it is just um, yeah, it, I've personally just had a hard time making out like what's real and what's not real in the season. Like Indiana's fifteen and fourteen; they just beat the Warriors. You know, Steph missed the end of that game, whatever. Are they going to stick around? Are they not going to tank? Like, what's the deal there? Sacramento, you know, come back down to earth, but the offense is still really good. Utah is trying. Like, Utah is ahead of the Warriors in the standings and has been consistently for over 30 games now. Like, on some level, doesn't that have to mean something? Yeah, I mean, the other thing is also I would say is, and you were talking about the Pacers of the mid of the mid teams last mm-hmm. year. I do think there was this species of team and by the way okc and san antonio um in indiana you know pencil them in for 58 wins and they're gonna mm-hmm. be in the top four so you can bet your house on it right like there was a formula there which is we defend like crazy and we rebound like motherfuckers mm. right and like and i know it sounds really out of it but like that was just like you knew that when you went to the hollinger team stat rankings before the nba had it like like the Pacers were going to be a top five team and they were going to be both in defense and in rebounding. And I'm pretty sure of the rebounding is true. It's like, okay, well, it's almost mathematically, unless you're throwing the ball around the gym, <laughs> like you're going to just win basketball games. You're going to win them against bad teams. You're going to win them when your best players may not be on the floor or may not be optimally on the floor. And I do think that like, is that formula? Like we know like which teams right now are, you know, you can bet your life on the fact that they're going to be a top eight, a top eight defensive and rebounding team. And I think like, like who are those teams? Oh, Boston. Uh, I mean, the Celtics aren't rebounding this year, but I, uh, my sense is guy for a guy who doesn't watch the game a lot. I, I, yes, I, I, do have a, I, I, yeah. I have some 
Um, yeah. Like, I know that, like, Memphis, like, like it didn't matter they didn't shoot the ball well last year. I know that they, like, any team that gets a third of their misses is just going yeah. to be difficult to contend with, and they're going to win a lot of games. And, like, those things don't slump. Like, rebounding oddly, and, like, rebounding defense don't slump very often. Yeah. Um, so, like, maybe that's it, is that formula, that old San Antonio, Oklahoma City, like, you know, we rebound the ball defensively and we defend. And like, if you do that, you're going to just kind of look, just sort of walk, sleepwalk your way into 52 wins. And then like, maybe that formula just doesn't exist anymore. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's hard to say it's a weird league right now. I want to get into the CBA talk real quick. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit and I apologize in advance. Cause I know you did not yeah, want me to do this to you, but do you get the sense that Boston is in a class of its own right now? Or do you feel like, it's a wide open race. Oh, no, no. I think, I think, I, I don't say wide open. I, I don't, I mean, I think Boston is, I, I was at that game that you were talking about, the mm-hmm. Clipper game the other day, which of course they didn't play well and they were out of it. They, they, yeah. they pretty much, you know, called off the dogs early yeah. in the fourth quarter. But um, I think like they in Milwaukee are just clearly to me in the East with Brooklyn as this, is the classic old LeBron Cleveland team where, okay, they're going to hang around in the fourth or fifth seed. We don't really know. They don't defend at least Mm -hmm. ostensibly, but maybe they could, if they needed to like we're old and we're just that team. Like we're just not a show up every day kind of team. Mm -hmm. But I I think Boston and I mean, I think Milwaukee is really good. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I, did they get their, I know they got their butts kicked last night, right? Like that was sort of did you, yeah, by so Memphis, by by, Memphis, by an right? injured but, Memphis team, classic. Um, yeah, but I still am sort of a old softy that believes in championship pedigree and like, right. Yeah, like the firm of Antetokounmpo, Holiday, and Middleton just know how to win <laughs> yeah. basketball games professionally. Like that's just what they do. They win mm-hmm. basketball games. Um, but yeah, I, the West is kind of weird. The right? West, like, I have no. I think it's I have no open, grasp yeah. on no. I, well, there's no old team with Gravitas. Other exactly. Than the Warriors, and we know that they're vulnerable and they're not entirely. I healthy. mean, they're gonna miss Steph for two weeks. They're gonna be in a hole, man. Like they're gonna be in a hole. I Phoenix, like in some ways, fits the profile. Phoenix is like a Rorschach test. It's like they could be. You could look at them as that old team with maybe some Gravitas. They've been to a finals, or you could look at them as like a new version of the Utah Jazz where it's like, mm they maxed out. The vibes are bad. It's not going to end well. Memphis and New Orleans are so fun on paper, and it would be... <laughs> We've talked about the league office. I think the league office would be <laughs> um, not thrilled with the Memphis-New Orleans conference finals, but it would be incredibly fun on paper. But those teams just don't win usually. So I... I unless, have... unless I will say this. I mean, the one thing... Those markets obviously are two of the three smallest markets in the mm-hmm. league. However, and this is something that you talk about sort of the league and, and and its struggles and why isn't it compelling every night that I would say is like you know, I, I spent a lot of time in the last decade kind of talking to what I love doing is actually one of the more thing fun things to do is not just to talk to basketball operations people, the mm-hmm. GMs and the assistant GMs and the scouts and whatever it is you really start talking to the business side people in the NBA because they're really smart. Mm-hmm. Like the people who kind of run the teams mm-hmm. are, are really smart and the owners and, and the owners conciliaries and whoever. And one thing you kind of, and, I, and I've written about this a couple of times is like at the end of the day, they're just the league succeeds and fails because it has like, transcendent two or three transcendent stars and by the mm-hmm. way those stars 
are Kobe, LeBron, Steph. They're not actually Russell Westbrook or KD. Like, right. Bless right. their hearts. And I'm not trying to impute them. It's just like those right. those people might get in your A ticket package. Like, yeah, the house is a little fuller when Oklahoma City was in town back in those days or if Kevin Durant's in town, but not like exceedingly so. Right. But the people who really, and I do think that Ja, and it's sad. I, I was working on a feature story. You know, one of the things that happens when you leave a career to start a new one and, and you you leave NBA reporting is I, you know, I was working uh, with my wonderful editor, uh, Ross Marison, on a, on a Ja Morant kind of like, is he does he what what is it that you have to have mm. right and derrick rose had it and one of the tragic stories of the nba in the 2000 teens was derrick rose who was positioned to become literally those one in a generation like literally it's a class that is that since mj retired is 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 kobe stuff right like that's it that's the list like these are what i call the mom test right these mm-hmm. are yeah. players that your mom who doesn't even follow the league knows and can pick out of a lineup and right. knows if they see them in a magazine right and rose and it's, it's when you travel the world as you do like you know like the like there's an inexplicable number of derrick rose jerseys on he young was huge, men and boys so in, huge. In, yeah. in developing world countries when you go and travel like it's just it's amazing and it still exists right he was enormous mm-hmm. and i think ja and i was working on this story is i think ja like they're gonna have to win like memphis has to win to be that right. guy there's a reason it's only kobe lebron step all have won multiple times. Mm-hmm. Like Jaw could be that guy. And if Jaw becomes that guy, I don't think it matters that Memphis, Tennessee only has mm. 640,000 television households. Like right. if Jaw can become that guy, like it doesn't matter what market you're in. It just doesn't. I mean, would it be better for the league if there was New York on his jersey? Sure. Yeah. But like people will gravitate to the Grizzlies of Jaw Morant yeah. is doing Jaw Morant things in June and lifting trophies and confetti is falling in the FedEx yeah. form. Like it doesn't matter. So I would say that's the only thing is like the league, my old employers probably don't want a Western conference. I don't know if it's this year for their, I don't, their West this year. Right, this yeah. year New Orleans. Yeah. But if Zion actually is right. ever, if Zion becomes Zion and they go to 60 wins and he is averaging 27, 10 and six, whatever the hell, like, yeah, yeah. and Jaws doing Jaw stuff and they're both healthy. Like I, I actually think the league might be, fine with new orleans well i i would hope so because my i want that to happen like i i i I was thrilled when Jokic won back-to-back mvps and again not to keep going back to the football well but like Jokic's boring personality would like work in a football context it would he'd be a he'd be a bigger star because of how boring and weird he is whereas in basketball it's like I, my parents maybe know who Nikola Jokic is, and my parents are like probably a slight step up from casual fan, right? Like my mom at least tries to keep up with the stories I'm writing. Like, but you know, th- those fans should be excited about the Jokic's, the Zion. Yeah, they're never going to be excited. About Jokic. Yeah, <laughs> they're never. <laughs> like, they, I think the league would worry if Denver was playing. <laughs> yeah. in the finals. Like, and it, it, by the way, no disrespect to the Denver Nuggets. Like, we I, love I, the Denver. Nuggets. I, by the way, yes. you and I can watch. There's nobody I enjoy watching more yeah. than Nikola Jokic. Like, like, but I just think that he, like, it's it's watching the little guy in the Matrix, which is what what the experience of watching John Moran is. It's, it's Zion yeah. Williamson. Like, I don't understand how that body can do that. Like, mm-hmm. Jokic's vision is a, is a beautiful thing, and and his audacity to just kind of do a set shot from three. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, but it's not it's yeah. not going to it's not it's not what 
uh, you know, it's like it's not watching the little guy shoot like Steph. Yeah. It's not watching LeBron, you know, which essentially is a proto Zion, yeah. right? Um, Zion with Jokic vision, actually, yeah. right? Like, yeah. like it's not Kobe, you know, self self made myth and yeah. the whole persona mm-hmm. craziness, and that's a different, much longer conversation yeah. for a different day. But, but I, um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think that is the sort of thing with like Ja is I think. I think Ja is so fundamentally important to this in league right now. And it's a thing nobody's talking about. Like, I don't mm. know that Tatum, I mean, I guess if the Celtics win, Tatum maybe becomes one of those guys. I, there seems to be a slight charisma deficit. Like, yeah. can, ta- and the other answer might be there'll never be another one of those guys. Right. That the culture globally in the media landscape doesn't allow for a mom test player anymore. There'll mm. never be another basketball player. Whether it's Luca winning five championships or Ja winning five championships or the two of them playing in seven consecutive conference finals. And we, you know, that we don't live in a world that is hospitable to the quote transcendent athlete anymore. That Serena and Steph and LeBron and Brady are the last of a breed that, you know, right. even as somebody like a Mahomes who's just un God, it's like, I don't even right. like football. Yeah. I've kind of become kind of closet chiefs guy because it's like (laughs) I just because I cover sports for a living and I just you know the same reason I'm I'm kind of in back into pro tennis right Mm -hmm. like um, Alcaraz is just uh, like insane and in in this Danish kid I watched you beat Jokovic is like like there's certain things that athletes Mm -hmm. have a certain charisma certain stage presence call it. Um, and I don't know, maybe the answer is, is no matter how good Ja is, like there's a ceiling because not because of Ja, not because of Memphis, but because of media right. and culture. And well, that there isn't, we don't have Michael Jacksons anymore. Yeah. We don't have transcendent cultural stars of any genre, of any medium, of any artistic form that allow for full global consumption. Well, it's kind of shocking that Giannis hasn't become that person. And I know like other people have talked about this, but... He checks every box. He is, you talk about the athleticism, the way he plays, the smile, the charisma, the dad jokes, the, the story, the, it's everything. It's, it's a larger, it's, if you pitched it to Disney, like he has a literal Disney movie. So I know. Yeah. I was saying they they did pitch it to Disney and they bought it. Right. Yeah. I was going to say, but like, even if it, if Giannis didn't exist and you pitch it to Disney, they'd be like, this is a little bit too much. Let's maybe take one thing away. You know what I mean? Like, this is a little too good to be true. And it's, it's a, I don't know if concern's the right word, but it's, it's intriguing to me that he is not like, and I get that he didn't have, I get, you know, Sports Illustrated didn't put him on the cover and call him the chosen one back in a time when, you know, Sports Illustrated covers resonated a little bit more maybe than they do now. Um, but, yeah, it's it's surprising to me that he is not even a bigger deal. That that we're already looking to Jaw. That we've kind of already, to an extent, skipped over Giannis. And I don't think you're wrong to do that, but but it is a little surprising that he's not like this international megastar. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And this is yeah. one of the reasons I'm sort of starting to be cynical. Not so much cynical, but I'm, I'm skeptical of the idea that there will ever be a basketball player who does that again. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, and I, I mean, largely, I think to me Giannis I mean one could argue oh okay hey the last name is a mouthful mm-hmm. which is which I think is unfair right yeah. um and but maybe there's something to that maybe right. um but maybe it's that he doesn't have the sort of valence that 
Kobe did one way or the other. Mm-hmm. He loved him or hated him. And, 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 and the Laker brand itself was sort of mm-hmm. wrapped up in that. Obviously, being on a magazine cover when you're 17 in LeBron's case. like, But it is one of the reasons I worry. And actually, maybe it's nothing to worry about. Maybe it's just, hey, it's just it's just not something that exists anymore. Right. And the league will be fine. And and there will be hundreds of millions of people that love John Morant. There just won't be billions of people mm-hmm. who love John yeah. Morant the way they love Michael Jordan and or, or Kobe or uh, or possibly Steph. So I agree with you. I mean, that that is sort of, I mean, to me, Giannis is, you know, the fact that he is not, uh, at that absolute peak suggests to me that the conditions, mm-hmm. it's not Giannis, it's the conditions of media and culture. Yeah. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare check the back seat check the back seat check the back seat gets in your head right Good, because every year dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Before I get you out of here, I did want to ask because there's a little bit of a news pack to this. Um, Yesterday was December 15th, which was the original opt-out date between the NBPA and the NBA. They've extended that opt-out date basically to give themselves more time to uh, collectively bargain for a new CBA. Um, And it's, I I said this to you on the phone and I've said, you know, said this before either in writing or in podcast, but it feels like every CBA, they try to play whack-a-mole. They try to fix a problem. And by quote unquote, fixing a problem, they create a new one. I think in the last CBA, it was like, we're going to do the super max and, we're going to stop this player movement. And instead we have players like instead of like a one year, are they going to leave window? It's a two year. Are they going to leave window? Cause everyone's asking if they're going to sign the extension or you have these teams who sign these contracts that become massive albatrosses and um, kind of really affect it on a competitive landscape. This year, I thought it was interesting. Um, uh, your friend, Brian Windhorst, I-, I think had a very interesting report during the finals where it's like, some owners are calling the Warriors uh, win a checkbook championship. They just pay deep into the tax. I think what the Warriors are doing is, in fact, good for the league. All teams should yes. be cajoled, encouraged, shamed into spending as much money on these rosters as possible. It's frustrating when they don't. Um, you know. And then on the flip side of that, there's the, the luxury tax. What I don't like about it is you, Atlanta just dumps Kevin Herter this summer in a salary move or... I'm worried, is Denver going to be able to pay to keep everyone if guys keep needing new contracts? Or are they going to, you know, 
play the luxury tax card. So I'm I'm curious, like you said, I mean, you talk to people. I know maybe you haven't been in conversation with people recently, but do you do you have a sense of maybe is there a correction coming in the CBA, and what what kind of correction may there be? See, the, the problem is is that. There are two battlefronts in every CBA negotiation, right? Mm-hmm. There's the league versus the PA, the players, you know, the players versus the league. But the one, and, and frankly, the one that was truly the complicating factor in 2011 wasn't the league versus the PA as much as it was owner versus owner, mm. right? Like we talk about, oh, the Warriors are playing. Chess. Remember the Miami Heat, right? Like, mm-hmm. like Mickey Arison, you're barking up the wrong owner. It's fine, five hundred thousand dollars. Ultimately along with four other owners, Arison is one of those who doesn't even approve, almost as a protest against his fellow owners, is one of the five that doesn't ultimately vote for the final Mm -hmm. settlement with the players, right? And so because, yeah, the league and the PA are going to argue about, you know, where that BRI line is and whether it's flexible. Remember the old, oh, is it really 51 or is it Mm -hmm. 50.2 and blah, blah, blah. Like that's going to happen. They're going to haggle over certain you know, sort of mega salaries or whatever mm-hmm. and, and, and whatever. But to me, I think where it's going to get really sticky is when they kind of have to, yes, the Warriors are, are, are symptomatic. By the way, the Warriors only have that issue because of the spike in 2016, <laughs> yeah. right? Like like that became Kevin Durant. The, remember, we weren't going to smooth. And by the way, I was an opponent of smoothing and I was wrong, right? Like um, they should have smoothed. And um and so that spike became the means by which they got Kevin Durant, which got them D'Angelo, which got them Wiggins, and now mm-hmm. which got them that massive bill, right? But the problem the league has is there's a recognition the Milwaukee Bucks lost a ton of money en route to an NBA championships. Mm-hmm. The Cleveland Cavaliers in 2016, in the fifth year of the new um of the new CBA, I think lost close to hundred million dollars en route to an NBA championship. It is a near mathematical certainty that if the Memphis Grizzlies build a championship caliber team, which they are in the process of doing around John Morant and Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson and the guys you're talking about, and that they want to keep that team together, they will exist in the red for a long time, right? Like for a lot, for most of the league, there are two choices, like be mediocre and steadily lose a little bit of money or be really good and lose a ton of money. And yes, the Oklahoma City Thunder will will tell you, like, you know, they are able to squeak out the most modest of gains um, certain years, right? But it is a virtual impossibility. Um, now, one could argue to the Memphis Grizzlies and Milwaukee Bucks and the Cleveland Cavaliers of the world, like, look, your asset is going to eat. Yes, you're absolutely right. You're going to incur annual losses in exchange for those losses. You know, you will also watch your equity increase multifold because your asset exists in a perpetual state of scarcity, right? Like, at most, two new clubs will be created in the next generation, yeah. right? We might have an expansion of two. So you're going to lose money all the time, and then but your equity is going to increase because the value of the thing you bought for $700 million is going to be $1.8 billion, or God, judging from what might happen in Phoenix, right. two point whatever billion. Um, so because the, the world is not making more basketball teams, but they are making more billionaires and – you know. And and Saudi sovereign wealth funds. Yeah, say nothing of Saudi. Saudi. God, God, imagine that market opens up, right? Did you see that? Like um, the sons, like the latest, like potential owners. It was like Peter Thiel and um, like Saudi sovereign wealth funds. Like the, you know, I just feel like they're really opening right. up a weird portal here. I, 
Well, I mean, I mean, yes and no. I mean, yeah. why, and by the way, like, and it's not, this isn't a normative statement yeah. about Peter Thiel. Like, look, I would love for there to be an openly gay sports owner. I would like it not to be Peter Thiel. Yeah. Um, can we go back yeah. to Geffen yeah, yeah, so he can yeah. buy a, a team for his, yeah. Right. So um, that is the norm, right? Like, like yeah. look around, I mean, yes, the NBA is a global sport. Like, right. like I, I mean, look at the roster of owners of the English Premier League, right? Like, it's very true, like, very true. Like, it's amazing that the league has been so wonderfully precious about only allowing hedge fund Americans and, <laughs> and techies and right. this cadre of old dudes like the Simons who still have their money in real estate and, you know, Steve Ballmer. And like, like it, it is kind of, like quaint. I mean, the truth is, is if open to the full world, there would be, uh, I mean, I'm sure there'd be a Qatari or two and, yeah. and, and Lord knows from that part of the world and um, it, it, whatever. But, but I do think that like, like, I do think that watching the owner versus owner discontent, most of us are going to be focused on the player versus owner. Right, and, right. And by the way, though, that, that's not nothing. I mean, that yeah. is ultimately what's good. But it is the owner versus owner and the level of tolerance um, by a group of owners who, by and large, this isn't their first business anymore. So what's gonna, what will happen mm. is they'll allow the league to sort of – they're not going to be involved in the minutiae early on. But eventually, you're going to get to these revenue-sharing things because as the percentage of expenditure – that involves player salary, the harder and harder it becomes the New Orleans is and the Memphis is mm. and, um, you know, other small. Now, by the way, I do think it's, it's a misnomer to always say small market, big owner. Like there is a lot of kind of like say this about the bus family. And I've been extremely critical of their ownership. Um, to me, they have always been, I think a good, I think a good faith citizens in sort of making sure that what's good for the media and NBA team is good for mm. the Lakers it is good for the league, right? But I do think watching those that conversation is going to be important because it is just like, again, there isn't enough revenue share to make teams whole at a time when, by the way, let's talk about local TV contracts, Ra. Yeah, yeah. Like, is there... I don't know what happened in Portland. They have a four-year deal with Root Sports and it's a new platform, but I damn well know it's not that profitable. Um, because if it were profitable, everybody look, Steve Ballmer wanted to do over the top, um, yeah. deal and realizing when you took, you know, and Ballmer was the first to say like, Hey, it's what I wanted to do. It's what I think if you were starting from scratch, we should do. And it is completely mathematically and financially untenable right now. Um, so I, I do think that is going to be like, like, like the Milwaukee bucks, the Cleveland Cavs. like, what do we do? Like, we don't have the capacity to make, like, are they willing to just say, okay, our equity goes up and if we need to sell, we'll sell and we're not going to be sentimental about this, but are you willing to incur huge losses every year to be, to keep big teams together in the way that the Warriors have? I don't, I'm with you on the Warriors. Like, I think that's how the league should work. You mean mm -hmm. basically have a team that maximizes its revenue in its building, um, understands how to do that. By the way, they have not a great local tv deal um and i'm with you like i want i don't want a hard cap which right. is by the way going to be the red line right yeah um because i don't want i don't like the, the only thing i don't like about the nfl my understanding is like you can't keep teams together right, right right like i don't want someone to have to sacrifice i don't want drew holiday to have to get 
you know, toss before or anybody. You know, like I, I think it's bad for the league, especially uh, the problems we talk about the NBA. But, mm-hmm. but I do also think there's great incentive right now to get a deal done because think about it. Like you talked about it, 2025 new media deal, right? Like what does you? I, I think it's fair to say that any media company, whether they are the traditional bidders like Turner and my former employer. Um, whether they are the streamers getting in on the package. I think it's fair to say that labor peace is the most important, Mm. (laughs) one of the most important variables in sort of their confidence to bid. Mm -hmm. And I I, I think that I don't think there's going to be a huge appetite right now for Savage. That said, again, it it depends on how intransigent certain owners are willing to be. And I, I actually don't even want to use intransigent as a pejorative because like, like I think, I think some of these markets have every right to be intransigent. And then on the other hand, I'm a labor guy, so like <laughs> I like there's a part of me that says fuck it. Like there should be no salary cap. Right. There should be no because like you know I think that professionals should be able to yeah. in, to to command what they. LeBron they, should be stuff. getting some yeah. of these 13 year 400 million dollar yes. contracts are getting baseball. Yeah, right. I mean, to me, it would be like I just nationalize. I would collectivize the whole league, and I think mm-hmm. that like you know, obviously though, the Knicks and Lakers will have something to say about yeah. that, right? Like, like it would be great that if we were in a world where like there was one big pool of money, television revenue, mm-hmm. gate revenue was collectivized, and. You know, but obviously the Lakers and Knicks aren't going right. to go over that, nor right. should they, right? right? Like, so it is weird because I have all these as just an observer and an analyst and someone who has gotten to know some of these quote small market teams, but has an appreciation like you do for like, hey, you know what, dynasties are good. Like, yeah, like I'm not teams like, you have staying to be, together is good. Yeah, yeah. By the way, the Los Angeles Lakers being good is good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as much as I enjoy sometimes their failure. Yeah. Um, and get to kind of you know, have some schadenfreude about their fuckery uh, as an yeah. organization, right? Like, the truth of the matter is if I'm Adam Silver, like, it's good if the Los Angeles Lakers yeah. are good. It's the old David Stern, right? Who's my ideal final? The Lakers versus the Lakers. Yeah. So I get pulled in all these different directions because I have great, like, I see the great work being done mm-hmm. at places like Milwaukee as an organization and Memphis as an organization. And, like, I had much admiration for those teams. And also, like you, like, you get to go around the league, like, the more time you spend in the smaller markets, mm-hmm. like, Oh, the greater appreciation yep, I have for them. Absolutely. When you go to Salt Lake, like, like, it's almost. I, I mean, that city and that team and Memphis, and it's just a different vibe. Yep. It's just kind of cool, and I want them to succeed, and I think it's good. On the other hand, I also am a realist, and um, I don't know what you do about the fact that there are only six. Maybe there is part of me that's like, what the hell is the league doing in a market like Memphis yep. or New Orleans? Again, it's a different part of me, but I. Yeah. Um, that's a different day, but I, I, I kind of have great sympathy for those markets on the same time though, is I, what I don't have sympathy for is just sort of artificially suppressing player salaries yeah. relative to market value. Like yeah. I don't have a lot of patience for that. Like I'm a labor guy first mm-hmm. and foremost. Yeah. So I don't know, man, it's a big yeah. mess, but I would yeah. say my thing is my storyline is don't just watch player, player association versus league slash owners, mm. watch owner versus owners. Cause that's where yeah. it got really sticky in 2011. And it, I, think to the extent it does get sticky i think that's where it's Mm going to get sticky i'm with you my nuclear hot take by the way is that players should vote on contracting two teams but that's a different podcast i want to i want to oh that's yeah yeah it's a fun one listen we have very little time left but i want to give you the platform you know you could take this in any direction you want you can let people know you don't have to let people know but i i Reddit is asking, what happened to Kevin Arnovitz? What is he up to and i just i just if you if you want to share you can share if you don't you don't have to but 
Yeah, no, no. I mean, uh, let's see if I can be as concise as possible. Um, I had the greatest job in the world for 14 years. I got to cover the NBA thanks to the ability of, of Henry Abbott and Royce Webb to mm-hmm. con ESPN management into hiring <laughs> some guy from public radio um, who'd never come up through a newsroom in, in, in sports. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to 14 years cover the league for ESPN, um, running around the country, writing, reporting, meeting people. Um, it's fantastic. Like it was the greatest job in the world. Um, I am, I'm so grateful for the opportunity. Uh, it, it was amazing. Um, I am somebody who gets professional wanderlust mm. and um, it happened in my previous career. Like, I was in public yeah. radio before I was like, I was in politics in the beginning of yeah. my life and hated that. Um, and so I don't think I'm someone who can stay in any job for longer than like 14 or 15 years, mm-hmm. which was pretty much the limit, which was this job. And I've, I've had an itch I've wanted to scratch, which is I've always loved, um, I've always loved the idea of screenwriting and always something mm. I thought, Hey, if I wasn't doing this, maybe this NBA thing, I'd love to do that. And, um, I, I, I kind of during COVID shutdown, I, I took a little gander and I was very fortunate. Um, I, 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 I had a screenplay that was bought by a studio mm-hmm. um, and then I had a second one. And um, it was one of those things where um, I just wanted to kind of see it through. Like w- what would happen if I did this full time, right? Um, and also at a time where I think like, I, I God, I love the NBA and I loved working for ESPN covering the NBA. Uh, but I think it was just kind of time. It's, uh, you know, I, I want to kind of, you know, leave on my own terms, uh, you know, you know, leave the party before, you know, kind of it, it, it dies down. And yeah. and um, so I, I'm doing this other thing and, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make a go of it. And um, I, I've had some good early success. Uh, it is a really uh, capricious industry and we'll see, but I'm having a blast. And it's just kind of fun to be at the beginning of something. Which I had, like, I have the same feeling I had, like, those first few years, and you know this, like, mm-hmm. covering the league your first few years, right? Like, yeah. you know, and, you, and you're getting to meet people, and you're finally mm-hmm. having the conversations with the people you hope to have conversations with, and people are trusting you with information, mm-hmm. and, and you're getting better at your craft, you know, that feeling where you look and like, oh, my feature story is better than it would have been three years ago, mm-hmm. given my new skills and and the good editing I'm getting or whatever it is. And um, I'm having a blast because I'm not young. Um having that experience one last time. Like, I don't know how many times in your life yeah. you get to have the experience of being like really psyched at the beginning of a career, right? Like it just, right. it, 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 and it's, it's something you realize once you leave behind You're 14 years in, like I was, you know, that's that honeymoon's over and that honeymoon is great. And, you know, it lasts a few years. So I'm, that's what I'm doing in the, in the screenwriting world. And, um, you know, I uh, I have a TV pilot and a feature, and Lord knows it'll ever make it to screen because yeah. like it's just a weird industry, yeah. and I'm but I'm having a great time with it. Um, but that's that's what I'm doing. I just kind of after 14 years yeah. of, you know, I think I think I beat Stein by Mark Stein by like one <laughs> or two months. Like I think I am the longest tenured. I don't know that any NBA contributor whose primary function was writing, uh-huh. not like the TV folks, right, right. Um, I think I have at 14 years and two months, I think I have, I think I beat Stein by one month, right? Like, I think I am the longest ever tenured writer for ESPN NBA. Um, I think now somebody will pass me. Like yeah. Brian Winhorse is, is, is going to pass me in a couple yeah. of years, but um, uh, so it was just like, it was just uh, that that's kind of what I'm doing. That's, that's there what I'm go. doing. And I'm, I'm in Los Angeles just doing the, uh, the screenwriter thing. Um, right. it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful Terrible, awful, <laughs> amazing, fun cliche. 
Uh, well, there he is. Now the Reddit the Reddit thread can be answered. Um, we can throw a link to this in here. Um, we finally answered the question. Kevin Arnovitz, thank you so much for joining Open Floor. Hopefully, I'll see you soon. We can catch a screening of the menu sometime. Thank you so much for joining the show, man. I really appreciate it. You got it. Whoa. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.